Hello and welcome back to the Holtcast. It's Easter Sunday and uh, we've risen on Easter Monday, actually. Uh, we aren't doing too well sticking to our Sunday schedule. But life gets in the way, doesn't it, Danny? Yeah, absolutely. I've been working late this weekend, so obviously uh, um, worked through the Villa game, um, which I thought was going to provide me with some entertainment whilst uh, whilst I was obviously working. Uh, but it didn't. Uh, obviously, it was a nil-nil draw. Uh, so, yeah, I got home at about half 11 that night and because of that uh obviously we've had to we've had to do the uh we've had to do the podcast today but uh i'm sure that's not a problem for all of you i'm sure you've all been enjoying easter um stuffing up on easter eggs of course uh and in terms of easter eggs in terms of easter presents i wonder if uh aston villa were able to uh provide anything this weekend james i, I think they'd be a bit disappointed mate it was a uh, it wasn't the best and when you mean working for the game, I assume you mean you were at your job because it was a uh, work to watch, mate. It feels like I had to clock in and clock out. Really wasn't the best uh, game to enjoy and digest. Tactical mess. It was a real soup of a game. Um, the team seemed blended together, constantly back and forth. I did appreciate the attacking action from both teams, but it resulted in absolutely nothing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, look, I, I work in a newsroom. Everybody else was watching Manchester City versus Everton, uh, which was much better on the in, in comparison. Whereas, yeah, this this game, to be honest, right, this this is the funny thing, right? I actually thought we were attacking all throughout the game, which is great, but it was just constant edging, wasn't it? Like, yeah, it was. There was no finish at the end. It was. It was literally like build up, build up, build up. It's going in. It's going in. It's going in. Oh no, it's not. That was it. All game. Exactly. It's, it wasn't, it was like Villa were trying to orchestrate the perfect chance and really take a dirty one because they weren't taking that shot first time. And I think a couple of occasions, if, if Doma really put his foot through it or took it first time, he'd have had two goals in that match. And I, this is one of the only games I haven't looked at expected goals for because it seems like a foregone conclusion. It seems like, again, Villa aren't taking the chances. So like QPR, Villa didn't take their chances, QPR did with a plomb. And they uh, got that resounding win at Villa Park. And it, it's becoming a defining thing of our season. But yeah, we'll be going to that whole match. I'm James Rushton. That's Danny Raza. What is the worst thing that happened in that match, mate? The worst thing that happened in that match? Um, I mean, to start with, Hull were denied a, a Stonewall penalty at one point. Uh, that that was bad. But I think, for me, it was really the, the fact that all of the finishing seemed very lackadaisical all game. It was net when whenever it did look like we were gonna we were gonna score an opportunity, all the all the finishing looked incredibly half-assed, and essentially there there was no passion on the pitch. It was it was very much kind of like right, let's go out there, we'll go get three points. Um, and you know, for for all the conversation, for all the talk that we had uh, from players over the last couple of weeks, saying, look, you know, I know we, we we've been in bad form, but we can still charge at the second place position. Right. It was all talk, wasn't it? It was absolutely all talk. It was all faff, right? Because at the end of the day, we came out there against Hull and we performed exactly like we have done in the last few games. And the strikers did not do their job and do what they were supposed to do. You said it yourself on Twitter, James. Forty-two million pounds we spent on strikers. Where is our finishing? It's uh, it's it's like football manager philosophy, isn't it? When I'm panicking, I'm football manager. When I'm going to get the sack and January comes around, I'm thinking... I need a man who's going to put the goals away. I not just don't just need one man, mate. I need three men. That's completely idiotic. Striker, strikers, a striker's position. I don't think strikers equals goals. You know what I mean? No, it doesn't. If, it doesn't. But there was there was creativity on the pitch. If you have 
a team of 11 strikers, it doesn't mean you're going to score more goals than a team with four defenders, four midfielders and two strikers. You know? Well, we we had that problem, didn't we, in the Premier League when it was Jordan Ayew and Gabby Egbonlaw flanking whoever it was up top. It's like, yeah, it's all well and good, mate, but you, you just, you're just never going to get the opportunities in the first place for those strikers to, to put anything in the back of the net. And of course, we had the problem with uh, Di Matteo when we had Ross McCormack, Jonathan Codger both starting, Gabby Egbonlaw, Jordan Ayew maybe on the wings. It was, uh, and Rudy just said, of course, you had uh, five, it seemed like you had five or six strikers on the on the pitch at points, and we are drifting to that now, and it is really frustrating because when you put players like Scott Hogan, Jonathan, and Jonathan Codger should not have played in that game at all. He looked like he was a, he looked like he forgot what year it was. Well, not for half an hour. You know, you know what I mean. Not not for half a bloody hour. Like we 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 it's nil nil. We're looking for a goal. We're looking for something to happen. Right. I understand that Jonathan Codger is a fantastic striker at championship level. Don't get me wrong, but he's been injured for, for months. He's been up, he's been injured since October. He's not going to run on the pitch and score a goal against Hull City. Right. And I don't think the squad are taking this seriously. I don't know if Steve Bruce is taking this seriously. In the last game, we were losing to Bolton. I can't remember if we were losing actually or whether it was nil nil or, but we brought on Roshan Hepburn Murphy with half an hour to go. And it was just a bit of an insult to the fact that the fans want to see the team win. And it seems almost as though the team are, are, are resigned to experimenting until the end of the season now. When, in a, you know, in, in a matter of fact, all we've done now is we've let Fulham get ahead of us. Um, now, I understand my rant is getting away from the original point just a little bit. But yeah, Jonathan Codger should, should not have come on. We had Scott Hogan on the, on the bench. You know, we had a couple of other decent players on the bench. Uh, I don't understand what that substitution was supposed to do. And essentially we continued with the same weaknesses we had throughout that game. We couldn't finish and we kept losing possession um, incredibly often. I think Jonathan Codger's uh, inclusion in the squad goes to uh, show the importance of an actual sick day. If you're not up to the task, I think you shouldn't be doing the job. And he clearly, it's no, I, I have, no, it's amazing that he's come back from injury so quick, but he's off the pace incredibly. You see Scott Hogan come on and tear the pitch up for five minutes. Yeah, he didn't touch the ball at all. But, the, you know, there was trying to make those runs in. Jonathan Codger didn't even know where the defenders were. It, it, it wasn't, it really wasn't good to see because of course it, it just kicks your confidence in the dick, doesn't it? Like straight in the I crotch. Has he even played a reserve game? He's played. I believe he's played one. I looked at um, transfer marks uh, when I was doing the research yesterday, and it doesn't tell you the fixture he played. But he's played one reserve game. Now I don't know if that was him coming back in October because I, I think they, Salem Rock FC. the Premier League two fixtures, which is the reserve under twenty three league, is their fixtures are quite few and far between. To be honest, um, you have a big clump of them, then you have none for two weeks. Sort of like, like eight teams in your division, isn't there, or something yeah, like that? Exactly, and uh, it's mixed up with other like behind closed door fixtures. I believe he has played behind closed door fixtures that aren't recorded. I think we played Peterborough in one where Andre Green and Jonathan Codger both played like a good forty-five minutes. However, it's nowhere near. Look, look at Hull. They were able to come at us for ninety minutes. All their strikers seem to. Abba Hernandez is what Jonathan Codger should be. You can see a clear difference in in how caught up Codger is with the team. And I think it's unacceptable for the team to put him in that position because it's embarrassing. No, I mean, again, right. Like, I just, yeah, Jonathan Codger, when, when he does play well, he plays like Gabriel Hernandez. And, and he, I, have, I have no doubt that he will get there again. But my point is, 
has the team now resigned to coasting until the end of the season? I said last week that they would, right? But that that was almost out of pessimism. They shouldn't actually be going on the pitch and coasting. And Steve Bruce shouldn't actually be be bringing on players who um, he knows aren't going to affect the game. And like I, I think Steve Bruce knew that as well. I think I think they knew Kodjak wasn't you know going to be able to do anything really. I think at that point it just looked like no matter how much we were attacking them, no matter how much we were throwing forward, we weren't going to finish. And maybe that you know sort of adrenaline of uh, of Kodja coming back um, from from injury might have carried him through to to, to Nick one in. But um, yeah, I, I don't want to criticize Jonathan Kodja. He's he's just come back. Uh, he 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 will be back. Um, and hopefully he'll be back for you know in time for the playoffs. But geez, you know we, we need to be making you know the right decisions, correct decisions in these matches. We haven't got a bunch of friendlies until the playoffs come off. You know we we need to get in some decent form. And now we've come off the back of of, of ten um, or something like eight wins in ten in ten games, and we've scored. We've got one point out of the last three games, and a lot of that has gone down to to silly substitutions and team selections. Yeah, uh, it's no criticism of uh, Kodja at all. Uh, I think it's testament to the man's character that he's managed to come back from a second ankle, like, cr- pretty critical ankle injury within 12 months. And he's been able to come back this season again. Uh, I think it's just a shame that he was chosen to be rushed into the team so quick and put into a game where he had no business being in that game. And uh, I've, I've, I think now we have to stick with him. Now we do have to put him in action because we've, we're going to get him up to speed. That's the only way it's going to happen. Not for 30 minutes, though. Um, not when it's so crucial, as you said. Um, team selection, again, it's like that thing of throwing four strikers on. How does that work? No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Uh, I, but I don't, I don't think we did. We put I, Scott I think at one point, Crabben and Codron, so we had three this time. It was one less than Bolton. Still a pretty categorical, tactical offence <laughs> in my eyes. Um, you, don't, you don't need more than one or two. Um, I think people have this idea you put more strikers on, you score goals, especially with 4 4 2. People think you put two up top, you score goals. doesn't work that way. I think Steve Bruce, like all of us, was probably wondering by that point how we've, you know, thrown um, offences forward, you know, against Bolton as well. And, you know, for for some parts against QPR as well. And somehow just not managed to grab goals. Um, you know, it's... And, and I think it was that frustration getting to him and thinking, right, you know, we've got to just throw the kitchen sink at him. But unfortunately... Um, I think one of the issues we've got right now is we're relying on all the creativity coming from Snodgrass and and Adoma, um, and and, 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 and you know it just shows the shows the importance of maybe having another substitute winger on the bench, somebody who's going to be able to come on and affect the game because we can't just rely on the strikers all the time. No, you need that creativity to get the ball in the box, and um, part of what I'm thinking as well, mate, is if we wanted to chuck the kitchen sink at them, why didn't we bring on? A, another midfielder who would maybe set our line higher so we could hold the ball in there to completely, you know, bring up the high line. Because it seems to me if you bring up another striker in, you're, you've got one less man to win the ball in the pitch. You've got one less man to anchor the midfield and allow you to play higher. So it's almost this paradox where, what you you know, you play strikers, it doesn't necessarily mean you score goals. If you bring on another midfielder um, for, say, for maybe... Um, Mila Yedinak, who, who, who was clearly losing it about 65 minutes for the game. It's, it's another international break for him. He's come off it. If we have Birki Bjarnason, someone who's who's happy to sit on that midfield line and allow 
people like Henry Lansbury to, you know, track up and allow Jack Grealish to track up. That's when we score goals, mate. Not when Jack Grealish is at the back. I don't know what's happened to, to Berkey Bjarnason or why he's not getting selected over the last few games. I, actually, I think he played against Bolton, but it was snowing so badly. So, you know, you you can't really expect a, an anchor to kind of to kind of do anything there. But like the other thing was, I know I was quite critical of him, but Josh Onham has been very effective off the bench. So I don't know why he suddenly disappeared. It's it, totally it's a bit well. odd because I guess there's the international break where Bjarnason played in New York and California within a week against Peru and the, the other bloody team they were playing. Um, Milan Yedinak was still playing for Australia in Norway. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. Milan Yedinak is about, he's got a few years on Bikir Bjarnason. Um, Bjarnason's more naturally fit and that's, you know, I'm not saying Yedinak's unfit, it just, it clearly takes it out of him playing international football and that, that's fine. It's all good to represent your country. We've got the depth to allow people to do that, you know, happily and uh, we aren't doing it. We, we, I, I do like Yedinak. I'm just saying, I think Bjarnason, he does anchor the midfield well. He does sit deep and he does allow people like Henry Lansbury to do, you know, focus on one task only and that's getting the ball in the box. Credit to Henry Lansbury, mate. I think he was, uh, he did seem off the pace a lot, um, but he uh, on many occasions, he was Villa's last man standing at the back. And uh, for a man who didn't seem to like tracking back at all early on in his Villa career, I do think it is testament to that you know, quote-unquote spirit in the team, but that man is putting it all on the line. Uh, same with Alan Hutton. It shouldn't be happening uh, when you're looking so heroic sliding in for a last tackle. And th- that's where the goals will come from. But it's still uh, good to see that these things are happening and we are preventing goals through that, you know, f- through sheer heroism alone, it seems. I don't know, man. I, I wasn't incredibly impressed with, uh, with with Henry Lansbury. I think he... Um, is, is pa- I think he, he, he lost about... Uh, twenty seven, yeah, twenty seven percent of his passes actually went went astray. Yeah, you know, he, he, his, his passing was incredibly, incredibly poor. He actually only made the one, um, the one tackle all game as well. Now it's it's another one where we've eventually put Lansbury in a little bit too late. You know, we probably should have given him the game against Bolton, and we're now under pressure. We played like corner tigers in that match, so that's why there was a lot of um. There was a lot of pressure on our midfield, but but having said that, you know we we had we had a lot of possession during that match, and I suppose that that is something that you can credit to Lansbury and Grealish. I just wonder whether he'd have had a little bit more freedom as well if Berkia Bjarnason was playing instead of Jedinak, uh, because obviously with Jedinak being there, he's a lot more immobile. Uh, I don't mean that in a, in a bad sense. I mean he's, he's he's very much kind of like static where he is. Um, so Lansbury and Grealish do have to track back a little bit more. Uh, I, I I think. They were trying to try him out in the in the Conor Hurahan role because uh, Hurahan seems to have gone missing in the last couple of games as well. But yeah, I mean, it, 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 it was okay. But I don't think his performance was anything to write home about. If you want to talk about last man standing, right? Uh, Matt Lynch won't be very happy with me over here, but uh, Alan Hutton was fantastic. Um, I think the sliding tackle looks better than it is. If there's a, I, I don't know where I've heard it, but I think there's a, Kind of a saying: If you've made a slight tackle, you've already failed to do your job. But still, he put, he came up twice with big tackles, mate. No, not necessarily. It's just it's a, if if you've got adrenaline going, then it's a little bit easier to to get a sliding tackle on than than you know carrying on running and trying to stick out your leg. Because if you stick out your leg, when you think about it, you're leaving a massive hole uh, between your legs. <laughs> and uh, if you put in a slide tackle and you know a ball is going low across the ground, you're covering a lot of ground over there. Um, and I, I thought Alan Hutton was great at that. 
Uh, and we were actually missing him for the last couple of games. And yeah, you know, I'm going to make it known that I believe if Alan Hutton wasn't playing at left back, uh, we we would have we would have had an issue, and we probably would have conceded. Uh, we we need a lot more. I mean, for 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 everything that that Alan Hutton does wrong, and you know, for all that for all that he has gotten wrong over the last few years, right? Tell me, is that to say for that? Exactly. Tell me, was it was there anybody on the pitch that had more passion than him on the that had more passion uh, in in that game, right? Whilst all the other players are looking almost lackadaisical and almost uh, what's the word settled about the fact that we had one good run at one point during the season. Uh, uh, yeah, Alan Hutton's the only one who's keeping up his standard. I'll tell you what, mate. Not that I disagree, but I think there's another man as well. Robert Snodgrass. Okay, that's fair. Snoddy's been good. Um, I think in this match, especially the one man, you, if if there's one man you pick who didn't stop until that whistle was blown, it was Snodgrass, mate. I think he was incredible. He really did put a shift in. He put the tackles in. He uh, made himself known to Hull, his former team. He was booed by all sections of the stadium and he uh, applauded them off. He's a uh, former club. Um, I don't know why they're so angry at him because if I'd have left Hull, if it was Hull, you know, the, the head case team at the top, you know, there's no stability in the ownership structure. If your major leaves, you leave as well, like Steve Bruce did. Um, so I don't know why they have had so much against him. I guess it's just you boo your former players, that weird, silly thing about football. But Snodgrass put in three, uh, three chances, mate, and he didn't stop running with the ball. He always, always, always wanted to make something happen. And it was upsetting to see him at such a higher standard than Grealish and Lansbury. Grealish did look good on occasion, but that frustration gets them, you know, he's clearly an Aston Villa fan. Yeah, but he's clearly a Villa fan. So it gets, it gets, it seems to, the occasion seems to get on top of him sometimes where he thinks he has to be the man to drag the team forward. And he doesn't, he can't always do that because of his position. What are you supposed to do if you keep on, if you keep on creating the opportunities and the strikers aren't scoring? I don't know what's happened to Graben over the last couple of games. No, um, we, we do sit really deep. And we're looking for Grabman to kind of get that ball in midfield and ping it off to a Doma and Lansbury before, or uh, sorry, Snodgrass before catching up with them in the box. That doesn't happen though. And we seem to cut back and forth between a Doma and Grabman. And uh, we aren't taking that first time chance, man. The reason we didn't win that game is because it seemed like we wanted to take all these touches around the box to set up the perfect chance. No, just take it. Played like Arsenal, unfortunately. That's that's what we're doing at the moment. We're playing like Arsenal. I thought that uh, Sam Johnson was good. I thought that John Terry and James Chester were, did their usual shift. Um, Axel Twanzebay, I don't think right back is a position for him. He's a centre back, isn't he? Really, or uh, even then, defensive been. midfield. You know, he's, he's got the energy to move around. Um, he doesn't seem to connect well with Snodgrass. And I mean, they've only played a few games together. But, um, I, you know, you've only got so many games to go. I think Twan's able to be so more comfortable where you're the next plane or even as a centre-back. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd genuinely like to see him and Bjarnison and together in midfield. I, I'd like to see those two working together, you know, as, uh, as midfielders with Greenish a little bit further up. I mean, yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I completely agree. I think you're spot on. I think we we do, we do need a bit more... I hate to say it because it sounds so Tim Sherwood. We need a bit more grit in midfield because play seems to just go straight past us sometimes. We do need to Brexit that side up just a little bit. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> I think that's the best way of describing it. Um, let alone that Bjarne uh, is a... Uh, <laughs> it's Icelandic, tons of bays of Congolese descent. And you're like Australian. You don't get more Brexit than that, do you? No, you don't. Not at all. <laughs> um, mate, moving on. A uh, whole nil-nil. Disappointing. None of us really predicted it. I think we'd, we thought we'd bounce back. We need to bounce back on Tuesday night. That's tomorrow against Reading. And I'm not confident we'll do so. Uh, Reading have been extremely poor 
but they seem to have that slightest, slightest new manager bounce. And Paul Clement is coming for that big Dutchman yap stab. Um, they're very much the same team. Um, still want to hold on to the ball. Still want to create chances. Um, they're still willing to let teams you know, walk all over them. But they snatched that goal against QPR last time out, mate. And uh, there's every chance they could do it against Villa if Villa aren't up to the standards and they haven't been haven't really got ridiculous possession statistics like they, they they love holding the ball they love keeping the ball but they just don't do anything with it like isn't it yeah Paul Lambert on drugs yeah it's uh yeah stands for obviously holding on to the ball same as Paul Clement at Swansea so they've made the right hire there without just you know you don't want to disrupt that for philosophy the only problem is the philosophy doesn't seem like it's working for them. It's a real big shame. I think if someone comes in with an idea and it doesn't work, people think, oh, the idea is crap. And that's not necessarily all the case. It's just that they don't have the resources or the facilities to pull it off. It's better than us chucking on four strikers. I feel like it's almost a travesty <laughs> that we could win a game by chucking on four strikers. When a team actually tries to do the right thing, quote unquote, the right thing, they get they get creamed. It's uh, it's not a good look for football, is it, sometimes? Right. Uh, but Re- Reading, uh, mate, a big stat for you is that they weren't finishing their dinner last season. They got a, they got a good bit of luck to get into the uh, playoffs. You know, a kick away from the Premier League, mate, to be honest, um, in the playoff final. The big stat was that they were, that if they're finishing according to expected goals, put them around 16th or 17th. Yeah, so they were really making the most of their chances. And Alex, I'll have to give Alex Carson of the blog a big shout. Yeah, because he actually predicted Reading to get relegated. And now that doesn't look like the worst shout in the world. At the start of the season, I almost laughed at it. We put the research in and Reading weren't, they weren't improving on anything they did last season. No, their football's poor. Their football is poor. Like, you know, it doesn't matter how much you're passing it around. Like, if you're not scoring the goals, you know, it's, it, there's, there's, there's no point. It's it's just frustrating for the fans. That's what was that. That's what it was like, uh, you know, against Hull last week. Just imagine that. But, you know, with the worst defence, that's essentially what Reading are. But I'll tell you what, the last game against QPR was hilarious, right? Because QPR absolutely murdered them, but Reading still ended up winning 1-0. Right, so Reading actually only had five shots all game. This was on Friday, by the way. Um, they had one shot on target, and it was a goal. Um, QPR had twenty-seven shots all game, right? But only <laughs> only three of them were on target. Uh, somehow, somehow Reading managed just to manage to get it through there. So I mean, that when you talk about new manager bounce, they they were still poor. They just got a little bit of a lucky win. Uh, they got the win though. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. That's what matters, don't it? At the end of the day, if you're down there with uh, eight, seven games to go, those three points save your life. And it looks like they are they will do just that, mate. Five points off the drop. No, those three points are massive. Massive. Well, yeah. I mean, look, I, th- I think I think when you when you look at Reading, you know, the, the, there is some danger in that side. There is a little bit of pace in that team, which which obviously could could do something to us. But I, f- I feel like we're quite good at defending against that. Uh, the only thing that uh, I don't want to see happen is 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 Bakuna score against us uh that's just um that's just one thing I want to get out there because I feel like he'd be very Anatovich about the situation but uh they've got Aluko and Barrow you know either side of Yanka Morgan so we've got to be we've got to be careful not to let them counter attack too much but I don't see why we shouldn't be able to beat them really and I don't, I think if we don't beat Reading then it's then then that for me is absolute proof of the pudding that the players aren't trying as hard as they had done um, a couple of months ago. Yeah, you have to beat Reading. 
it's just uh, one of the facts of the championship. And I, I do have a lot of good friends at the uh, Reading blog, the Tarhurst end. They're really good people. And I think we were nominated for the same award ages ago. And they, they were really like good to us. And you know, they were really good friends. Still are, because now we're in the same league. And uh, we we always have good discussions. I've been following their results all season and they've never really got kicking. I, it, it seems unbelievable that they've, they've managed to even win nine games. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, they, they, they are doing some good things out there. I mean, if you want a little bit more scouting from me over here, they've got a 17-year-old centre-back that could be hoping to start as well. I don't know if you've heard of him, but uh, young Tommy Holmes, he's played one game in the championship. Um, uh, I believe it was against Bolton. Uh, at the start of the month, I believe it was, and he did impress. So there's a chance he might start against us there because uh, I think uh, I think it was who, who was the last man in charge? Yarpstam, who was in charge in the last press conference, he said that if yeah. they're, if they're good enough, they're old enough, basically. Uh, and I can I can see Paul Clement trying to do something like that, especially considering that Tommy Alfick and Paul McShane are both out injured. So there's a chance. Yeah, they have absolutely no defenders, mate. They've got Alfic for in for one game, and he was in out for the season. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I mean, uh, yeah, Paul McShane as well has been decent for them this season, and he he looks like he's going to be out for this match as well. Uh, So I think he got injured against QPR. So again, uh, it's another one of those games where there's opportunities for us because we should be shredding a 17 year old centre back. Paul Clement's side uh, missing an incredible amount of players for injury and suspension. Jan Kermagant, one of the big men up front, injured or suspended. Sorry, Omar Richards, uh, Bud Larson. Yeah, Jan Kermagant. It says it says he's suspended. It this is this website has lied to me in the past about Ruben Neves been suspended. I was going to say yeah, that's what happened last time I read. Last time I read who scored and um, and checked out Ruben Neves' uh, d- I mean disciplinary record. It told me he was suspended, and it turned out he wasn't. Oh no, he was sent off in the last game against uh, QPR. So, <laughs> yeah, that's suspension, definitely, isn't it? That's a, that's a definite. Yeah, um, Ruben Neves' suspension obviously expired when he played two games, two whole games before he faced Villa after the red card. The backup striker's injured as well, isn't he? I think Jon John Bavarsen's also injured. I don't have any good luck at all, mate. Uh, luck hasn't been kind to him this season. Um, I think. Without a doubt, Reading are probably one of the poorest teams in the championship and it's really undeserved after a fantastic season last season. Um, I mean, they could be in the Premier League now instead of Huddersfield, mate, and what you know, what happens from there with that money, with that injection? Uh, yeah, so uh, shame on them, really, for uh, not kicking on and really, really you know, building on their weaknesses because they were glaring weaknesses that everyone seemed to see uh, in the summer with the, the stats and stuff. So, yeah, uh, down the bottom end of the table. Villa should, Villa should belt them. Yeah, no, they should do. They should do. I, I think, uh, again, it's it, they're a poor team. They've got some decent players. You know, they've got big man uh, Tyler Blackett at left back as well. They've got Chris Gunter at right back. Right, Chris Gunter, I just need to throw out a mention to him because um, I don't know if you saw any of the coverage of Wales going over to China, but he's actually got a lot of fangirls over there. Or he had a fangirl. One girl actually went over to... Um, uh, to the airport from China to uh, to actually greet Chris Gunter, which I found hilarious. Um, so if he scores a goal, fair play to him. But um, I think once again, we should be able to shred him. Um, the other midfielders, if you look at Reading as well, just to kind of round this off, uh, if, you, if you want a little bit more scouting for them, um, again, they usually go with a three-man midfield. Can't see them being too much trouble, but Dave Edwards, Swift and Berg will probably play against us as well um so yeah a little bit of an aging midfield there too 
this is a really defining game for Villa season because it's rarely that they've played a team so poor. The Reading have been bad. They beat us earlier in the season, but they're not Bolton or Hall. They've been fighting. Reading have been bad. What's your predictions, mate? Uh, nothing in the last game showed me any reason why we should be able to get three points. James, I'm going to be absolutely serious with you. I'm going 1-1 again. 1-1? Yep. 1-1. Oh, mate, I want to go for that. We're not going to go for 2-0. Well, you're a little bit more optimistic than I am this week, James. But like, what have what have Villa shown me over the last three games that 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 justifies me giving them, um, you know, saying that they're going to get the three points? I'm going to judge them like I'm judging every other team that I watch, right? QPR, we got hammered. Bolton, we we let them walk all over us and didn't offer anything going forward. Well, didn't offer much going forward. Uh, and in the last game, of course, we kept throwing the kitchen sink at Hull City, but none of our strikers wanted to throw anything um, into their finishing. So going into this game against Reading, if Reading have the ball a lot, it means our chances are going to be few and far between. And I don't think that our expected finishing rate is incredibly good. Uh, so I'm, I'm, yeah, this is it. I reckon maybe, maybe we sneak the one goal in there. Uh, so I'm gonna go one-one. That's it. I mean, that that's the only way I can see it going. If it's not one-one, it will be nil-nil. Yeah, Villa are a team judged uh, by expected goals and uh, some of the experimental XG models to have overperformed for the vast majority of the season. So maybe, maybe life is just catching up with us. I believe that we have another game though, mate. Uh, twelve thirty kickoff, early kickoff. So keep that in mind. It's a twelve thirty kickoff against Norwich on the TV on Sky Sports on Saturday. Mm. It could go either way. This one, uh, Norwich aren't the worst team. They're underperforming for sure, but they're not a really terrible team. This is a game where I can't see us actually taking it lightly. I can actually see the team going up for the, you know, getting up for the Norwich game because uh, we we just seem to underperform against the poor sides. Uh, always seem to turn up somehow against sides like Norwich. Uh, now, Norwich obviously haven't had an amazing season. You know, they, they will have wanted to be a little bit further up than they have been. Uh, obviously, another side which recently got relegated from the Premier League. Uh, they've been scoring goals, fair play to them. But in the last game, they got they got beat by Fulham, who are in you know ridiculously good form. Um, they've got QPR midweek as well, a high riding QPR. So on that basis, I'd imagine uh, QPR would beat them, and uh, Norwich would be in even poorer form. But yeah, so far this season. Uh, they haven't been amazing. I think they've had about one or two standout players. I think Madison really has been has been uh, the top performer for them. But that Gagan pressing that we expected from Daniel Farker hasn't been amazingly effective. Hasn't really arrived when he came over from uh, Germany, has it? Hasn't really, hasn't really brought it with him at all. Um, seems very similar almost to Villa. I mean, they have a top scorer who's uh, hitting them teens with the goals in terms of James Madison, but he's also been backed up through uh, Nelson Oliveira on nine and uh, Mr. Murphy, Mr. Josh Murphy on five. Um, it's very similar in numbers to Conor Hurahan and Robert Snodgrass. We're back in the Doma up. Um, I reckon we could see Jonathan Codger in, in start in starting uh, in the starting 11 for this. There's no doubt in my mind, even against Reading. I think there's, there's definitely a chance that he starts one of these two matches. Reading might comes too soon. I wouldn't be surprised to see him in, in the lineup for the first 45 minutes. And I think, you know, you, the players like Hanley and Zimmerman, I think both of them are pretty, pretty big centre-backs, aren't they? 
yeah, you, you do kind of want somebody who's going to be able to play it along the ground and, and and try to try to run through them. And I think Jonathan Codger could could definitely do that. Uh, it is a case of then you can pick him for tactical reasons. I think Lewis Graben, though, as well, being a former Norwich City striker for for a long time, uh, you've got to put him into consideration as well because I'm sure he'd want to uh, he'd want to grab a goal against Norwich too. Let's not forget about that. Yeah, of course, uh, Lewis Graben, who seems to have uh, slightly went off the boil recently, and a uh, a reason I say start um, start Jonathan Codger, maybe not against Reading. I, I expect Steve Bruce will start him. I'd maybe wait for Norwich. I think he scares strikers, like he scares defenders, sorry, like n- not many other strikers do. Whereas Lewis Graben, yeah, he scores a lot of goals, but he's uh, more of a stand-up hold-up man. Oh, yeah, he does. I think Lewis Graben is more similar to Scott Hogan than we give than we give credit for. I think Lewis Graben is the kind of striker that likes to find himself in positions, um, albeit he's maybe a little bit bigger and a little bit less quick than, than Scott Hogan. But uh, I think Graben's always down as a finisher. I, I, I class him as a little bit more of a Darren Bent. Um, I I understand he's he's big and he can hold it up, but when it comes to hold up plays, no Libor Kozak. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Libor Kozak, of course, the man we were praying would save us from that relegation season, but alas, he was a uh, Libor Kozak. <laughs> Villa really could do with a few wins here. I don't think Villa will drop out the playoff places. Uh, it'll take a horrendous amount of a uh, catastrophe for that to happen. However, they can make the situation decent for them if they push at least for third, and because it means they might they'll have a sixth place. And I'll take uh, I'll take facing bloody Middlesbrough over Fulham any day. Yeah, you know what? I'll say something right now. It's more likely that we drop out of the playoff places than it is that we make it into the automatic promotion. Uh, the way that we're playing, we are keeping ourselves for the taking right now. Whilst every other team is fighting to to get in the position that they need to at the end of the season, there are so many teams who are trying to fight to get into that that final playoff place. And there are so many teams that are trying to fight to get out of relegation. And we've already taken our end-of-season holiday. Their players are already in Mallorca at the moment, the way that we're playing. Um, now, that's not a criticism of them. I'm not I'm not saying that the players are, 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 are totally lazy. I'm not saying that they're not trying whatsoever. But what I'm saying is a little bit more effort needs to be going into this and a little bit more passion needs to be going into this. I'm purely making comparisons between us and the other teams around us. Fulham are still playing well. You know, Cardiff are still playing well. Uh, Preston North End, who are trying to sneak into the playoffs, they're playing incredibly well. Uh, we need to be able to keep up that standard if we're going to stay there. Because if we've got, if we're going into the playoffs, even if we finish six, if we're going into the playoffs having lost, you know, five out of the next six games or something like that, I'm afraid we're just not making it through. Uh, and yeah, essentially, we need to show some bottle now and the players need to get it in their system. They need to, because if there's one thing that we've learned over the last few seasons or so, it's the mentality, which is more important than anything. Let's get that prediction in for uh, the Norwich match. Um, what are you thinking, mate? Norwich, I actually think we're going to win that one. Like I said, I think the players actually do turn up to big games like Norwich City. Um, and I'm going to go, I'm going to go a rather comfortable 3-1. I don't know why, I just see that we'll come back from it uh, after the Reading game, I don't know. I think this is the one where I go for a nil now. I really do. Hmm. Okay. I okay. think uh, Villa have stumbled away from home recently. I think I can only go on what I've seen against uh, Bolton against Hull. I think it's more of the same. I think with us, it's only going to take one goal. Yeah, you did. we need to take our chances. Otherwise, that goal isn't coming, which is incredibly frustrating. And in the playoffs, it's going to be a real shootout, mate. Um, 
I believe we do have we have a massive position in of strength uh, in the fact that we will take thousands and thousands of away followers when we're in the playoffs, and we'll also fill out Villa Park. We'll have forty two thousand at Villa Park. That's a massive position of strength to be in, but you don't get that when you're at Wembley. <laughs> so it's all well and good beating Fulham away at home and away from home in the in the semi final. When you get to the playoff final and you're playing someone like Millwall, who, who or a kick away from the Premier League, it, it goes out the window. Oh, and if they're and if they're playing and, and if they're, if they're playing like like scared, you know, like scared animals again, right? You know, if they're if they're under pressure right now, if you know eight games or something like that from the end of the season, they're under pressure, right, and can't finish anything because oh no, we might get into the automatic promotion places, then they're not going to bloody be able to deal with the pressure at Wembley. No, of course. that's that, that. That's what I'm saying because you've got teams like Sheffield United, Preston, um. Bristol City, Millwall, who could sneak into that seventh place spot, that sixth place spot, sorry, and uh, really surprise people, mate, like Huddersfield almost. Um, you know, almost. Yeah, they won't have any pressure on them. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, oh, we only need to win three matches when we're in the Premier League. Did you expect this at the start of the season? Go for it. They've got a, they're a team with a license to do whatever damage they want, whereas uh, a team like Villa might just be a bit more conservative because there's so much to play for. And uh, yeah, I'm not looking forward to it. Those playoffs, mate, they're going to be nervous. And I really don't care who we verse. I think put yourself in the best, best position to play the weakest place team. But if you come up against Fulham, you've got to do the business. You have to do the business. It doesn't matter because you've got to play them in the final. If you're not playing them in the semi, you're going to play them in the final. The problem is nobody's scared of us now. Nobody's scared of us because we, we've been, we've been um, exposed and we're not, we're not playing like we're you know, the, the the best team in the league anymore, which we were, you know, which we have the potential to be. And, and, and unless we start playing like that again, unless we start trying to be the alpha males of, of the of the two teams on the football pitch, we will get walked on. And a team like Fulham will go ahead and score against us because they, they've got such a positive, positive feeling around the club right now. I don't think we've got a negative feeling around the club right now. It's, it's, it's rather positive, but it's also just a little bit tentative because we know that a playoff defeat could absolutely break the squad and could see another exodus of, of talented players next season. And we just cannot, cannot be dealing with that every single year because it's a long road where, um, you know, if that continues to happen, the basically, basically the, the quality of the squad continues to go down. Yeah. I think uh, we have to end it there, mate, on that note, because we won't know what happens until we uh, meet up again next week to uh, digest these two games that are coming, Reading and Norwich. Uh, Villa's mortality exposed, I feel, and I think uh, we really do need a few wins now. We need at least some positive results coming in to kind of galvanise our end of season, um, settle in and uh, get ready for the playoffs. And hey, if automatic promotion still comes up, if Cardiff do drop off, put yourself in the place to take advantage. Don't let Fulham take the advantage because we're only a point behind Fulham and uh, we're nine behind Cardiff. If Cardiff slip up, put yourself in position, but don't bet on it, I think, mate. I think you just got to put yourself... You've got to make yourself the understudy, as I've said. Put yourself in a position to take over. Well, that's enough from me. That's enough from Daniel. You can catch him at DHRazo. You can find me at Jamo Rushton. Find us all together at 7,500 to halt. And uh, yeah, stick with us because it's going to be a tough ride from here on out, I believe. But we'll catch you soon. Goodbye. <laughs>